my understanding of the human spirit has been radically faulty. Welcome to Auf Hebunga Bunga, the global politics podcast at the end of the end of history. If this is your first time with us, maybe you're listening because our guest today has brought you here, then give us a follow at BungaCast on social media. We take a left-wing perspective on global politics, trying to provide some clarity on our current moment, away from the culture wars and the hysteria and the complacent polemics found in many other places. Today we are talking about coronavirus because everyone's talking about coronavirus all the time. We are going to take a specific angle on it, which is the question of freedom. You know, everyone's talking about health, about safety, maybe also about equality, about the impacts, about whether it affects everyone equally. But today we're talking about freedom, and we are very happy to be joined by John McAfee, who we're going to be calling up in a second. Uh, my name's Alex Hohili, uh, Alpha Bunga Bunga is myself, Philip Cunliffe, who's in Canterbury. Hey, what's up? And George Hor, who's in London. Hi. And as usual, of course, I'm in Sao Paulo, Brazil. So, guys, what are you excited to ask John? I'm specifically excited to ask him. So, apparently, John is running for um, president in 2020 for the Libertarian Party. However, um, according to my sources, that the headquarters for the campaign is in Havana, Cuba. So, it um, <laughs> doesn't seem like the most kind of uh, ideal location for the headquarters of a libertarian presidential campaign in the US for the Yankee imperialists. So, I want to ask um, maybe, uh, hopefully, maybe John can sort out um, fact from fiction in this scenario. Your source being Wikipedia, as often uh, <laughs> for you. Um, no, I'm interested in, I guess, talking about you know, the responses to coronavirus. What does this mean for a libertarian position? Because it seems it's pretty much a practical refutation of a libertarian position in that we've seen massive uh, changes in civil liberties at a, at a stroke with very little pushback. So I'm interested to see what what he has and we all have to say about that. Very good. Uh, let's call up John. Hello. Hi, John. This is Alex. Hey, it's, it's George here. I'm in here from London. So we're speaking transcontinentally. And Philip from Canterbury, so there's three of us so. all together. Why do, you, why do you think we're speaking transcontinental? That's a good point. We don't know where you are, yeah. Um, yeah, absolutely. Um, start off, actually, maybe just should ask you, how, how, are, you, uh, how are you coping with uh, lockdown or, or quarantine? Are you locked down and uh, are, you, are you taking to it fine or are you uh, rebelling against it? Oh, yeah, we are seriously fucking... <laughs> lockdown. Um, uh, we cannot go more than thirty feet from our, <laughs> from house without permission. Uh, no one can drive around with a passenger in a car. You get arrested, and you can't walk on the beach. No one can swim in the ocean. Um, no, we're seriously going down, and I'm coping remarkably well. Considering, I mean, I have um, 
in my hand right now. Listen to this. <laughs> a, a brand new can of Coca-Cola and a <laughs> bottle of Bacardi rum, which I'm going to pour into. No, there's a glass. Good. I, I hope that's and, in, uh, a, in a one-to-one ratio. <laughs> Well, no, I, I drink party and then I, I chase it with a Coke. I mean, listen, those people who mix drinks are probably old-fashioned and retarded. In any case, um, we should get started. Let's, 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 get, let's get started. Right, so um, I'm going to pass on to my, my friend Phil here. Yeah, I wanted to ask you, um, John, about the civil liberties impact of lockdown and um, I mean you've mentioned some of the kind of uh, what's confronting you most directly at the moment with the lockdown but uh, more broadly how worried are you about the lasting legacy I suppose of the quarantine and the lockdown around the world well to be frank with you gentlemen I'm not worried about anything however I, I do notice things which are seemingly awry that are our individual freedoms have disappeared. What freedoms can you possibly fucking have when someone tells you, go home and stay there? <laughs> Please, people. <laughs> Is there any freedom? Did it surprise you? I mean, I, I, I tend to agree with you. Um, but did it surprise you how quickly, um, how quickly, I suppose, people acquiesce to it? And how quickly it spread around the around the Western world in particular? I wouldn't call it surprise. I would call it shock. Disappointment. Yeah. That we, as a human species, uh, the citizens, the sheep, the rank and file, whatever you want to call us, the people, <laughs> we felt into line, just like a trained soldiers when told to do something. Now, that shocked me. I expected people wandering in the streets with guns uh, saying, fuck you, but that didn't happen. Do you think it'll, um, do you think the that kind of um, feeling of uh, suspicion and um, I suppose willingness to assert yourself um, will that grow back and come back as people get tired and exhausted of quarantine and lockdown was it there to begin with yeah, it's a good question back. when it's when you say come back you're assuming it was there yeah, it's uh, a good point I'm not sure I'm not sure it was there my friend yeah so I guess I've got it's George here I've got a question about maybe what this means for libertarianism because so say I, I guess libertarianism is is at least in part a defense or an extension of some of these sorts of freedoms what does it mean that people have been quite ready to perhaps give them up or maybe they haven't really sought to, to defend them as as maybe many of us might have hoped what it means to me is that my understanding of the human spirit has been radically faulty. I expected people to get in the streets with guns in America, for fuck's sake. Alabama, Mississippi, <laughs> Georgia, Tennessee, South Carolina, Mississippi. I mean, those states have all the guns in America. 
locked in prison, walked out of their house with a gun saying, no, I'm not doing this. You'd have stolen from me my personal freedom. And, mm. and what makes it worse, people, is if you look at the numbers, 90,000 people have died from COVID-19. 630,000 people in the same period of time have died from the flu. One million have died from diarrhea and six million have died from starvation. <laughs> I'm, I'm sorry. I, I hate to laugh about death. Mm. But can we please? You should yeah. only la laugh in the face of your own death, surely. I'm 74. My death is imminent. I am perfectly happy with when and if it comes at any fucking time. Let me ask you a question which has a bit more of a technological angle, but also pertains to freedom and actually specifically privacy. Because um, as I'm sure you're aware, you know, places like South Korea, which seem to have dealt well with the COVID outbreak, uh, you know, the authorities there can require telecoms to hand over mobile phone data uh, to track infected people and even uh, use a notification system alerting Koreans about where infected people may be so as to avoid them. Uh, what are your thoughts on this? My thoughts are the following how do you count deaths from COVID-19? In the US, the CDC said, if a person dies and they're infected, then they died of the infection. Do you realize that 60 million people a year die from various causes? Uh, at least 20% of them, if you believe the... the <laughs> The United Kingdom statistics, 20% of all uh, tested or infected. Then <laughs> there are going to be um, 13 million deaths from this virus. <laughs> the way they count it. And the way they're counting it, the CDC says, if you are infected and you die, then you died from the virus. Those 16 million people, 5 million per month, by the way, are dying from lung disease, from heart disease, from... Uh... <laughs> well, look, I mean, John, just to interrupt, sorry, but all that notwithstanding, do you not think there is perhaps some technological application that could help us with... Uh, coronavirus no, with any other future pandemic. No problem. Listen, I don't think there's a problem with coronavirus. Less than a hundred thousand people have died in five fucking months, people. Six hundred and thirty thousand have died from the flu in the same period of time. I mean the argument is that, is that it overwhelms health services, right? So that they're not able to treat Bullshit. those treatment. Bullshit. You show me which ones. Yes. The MSM has found five or six or seven hospitals around the world that are overwhelmed of the tens of thousands of hospitals. Please, God, look at the people who have gone out in spite of quarantine and photographed and videoed hospitals. None of them are over-fucking-whelmed. You're being, you're being deceived, people. Wake the fuck up. 
okay, so this is a stupid question. I admit we were talking about this before, but how has an antivirus expert such as yourself not solved the coronavirus yet? Well, there's nothing to solve. If it was a problem, maybe I would put my attention to it. But listen, one thing I do understand is the epidemiology of viruses. Computer, yeah. computer, computer viruses are nothing more than um, a copy of biological viruses. That's how they first started. The Pakistani brain, the first computer virus infected boot sectors and had two jobs. One, survive, and two, propagate. And <laughs> they did it well. Um, so I know the mathematics of virus propagation. And this, God, please go on WHO or John Hopkins and look at the stats. Five fucking months, less than 100,000 people killed. Please, this is not an issue. So, so 630,000 died from a few, 1 million, 1.1 million from diarrhea, and 6 million from starvation in the same period of time. You think that diarrhea is not caused by pathogens? Please mm. look at So, uh, John, I mean, I guess one of the questions which comes from this is, what do you think explains that that gap then between the objective, I guess the objective risk or the objective danger and the subjective or the political response that we've seen, because clearly the argument has been won by people who might say, well, you know, there is a there's a small there's a there's a risk here, smaller or larger. And the way that we should respond to this is by changing society and the economy fairly rapidly. I'm sorry. Uh, fuck risk. Let's look at who benefits from COVID-19. Governments. The United States has passed already the most <laughs> stringent um, set of rules and laws against human freedom because of, of COVID-19. So have most other governments. Who benefits the governments? China. <laughs> but who benefits most people? the mainstream media. You're all locked in your fucking homes. What can you do? Watch the news. Their eyeballs have increased by a factor of 10. Now you tell me that they are not the winners. And you also tell me that they are not the ones who are sensationalizing this fucking <laughs> A panic. Yeah. So I guess maybe something which which comes from this is this: what we have seen has been a big increase in state power, um, as demonstrated in you know across the world. Lockdown, yes. I think, being a being something which many of us wouldn't have anticipated and haven't really experienced anything like this. I mean, aside from the, I have minds. Good God, do you understand that the C D C which is an arm of the U.S. government, has instructed hospitals to put down, if anybody dies from any reason, put it down, and if they're infected, put it down as COVID-19. Mm. You understand 60 million people a year die in this globe. 
It's so, so fine. John, John no. sorry, I, I've got a different theory, right? The reason why this has been the lockdowns have come in is precisely because governments haven't prepared. They've been talking up the possibility of a big pandemic for ages. They didn't actually prepare. They didn't have the tracking and tracing in place. They didn't produce enough masks. They don't have enough ventilators. And because of that, they're forced to do lockdown where maybe other uh, approaches would have been possible, like what they've done maybe in Singapore or Korea or Taiwan. Has anybody looked at the stats? 80,000 people have died from COVID in five months. In that same period of time, 630,000 have died from the flu. This is not a fucking problem, people. Can't you listen? Does, does the new math uh, destroy your ability to add, subtract, multiply, and divide? I mean, I know in the new math, two plus two may not be four. It might be uh, 22. But I'm from the old school. Two plus two is always equal to four. Less than 100,000 people have died world fucking wide in five months. 630,000 in that same period of time have died from the flu. Does it, I think there's, there's a question here of, of what's going to happen in the medium or longer term. So we've seen state yeah. intervention in the economy. We've state, seen intervention in people's lives. I mean, do you think these are just emergency measures or are you worried that this is a precedent and it's going to lead to longer term change? Have you ever heard of an emergency measure which is reversed? Never in the history of government. Governments are using this opportunity to lock you down into a position of slavery. Now, if that's okay with you, that's fine with me. <laughs> John, it does suggest an alternative uh, approach which states could have taken, which would have been to, instead of demobilizing people and having them stick at home, mobilize them, get them out helping. I know you're a skeptic. I know you're a skeptic about how serious the disease is, but even if imagine if it were even more serious than it currently is, they could have people out there uh, mobilize, helping uh, treat people, help tracking who's infected, do all these kind of things to anti-pandemic measures. You know, so mobilize rather than demobilize. The truth is more people have died from the common cold in the period of time that COVID-19 has been with us. Can we not stick with the numbers, people, please? So I wanted to shift perhaps away from uh, the pandemic itself to think about some of the economic consequences. And uh, we know you're a, you're a supporter of um, blockchain applications, cryptocurrency and so on. And I was wondering how you think that plays out now, given the enormous, um, just the enormous uh, kind of fiscal stimulus, the fact that they're, they're not even printing money, but simply, um, you know, pushing the button. The central banks are just pushing the, the button on the computer to make money effectively appear out of nowhere. And how does that change or how does that affect your thinking about cryptocurrencies? Well, listen, people, nothing in the history of humankind like this has ever occurred, where the entire globe is locked down. Now, I wish I could tell you what's going to happen, but I don't know. Neither does anybody. This is a new parameter into the equation of the economy. I can tell you this, that all fiat currencies are going to collapse. Listen, what about squirrels? Listen, we're a species, human species on this planet. We have over 50,000 years developed a culture and a world economy 
which thrives. Well, not necessarily thrives, but at least exists and supports most of us. We're destroying that. What do you think? Squirrels from September to November spend 20 hours a day hunting nuts and seeds, which they store away <laughs> uh, in their uh, caves, holes, and trees. What would you think would happen to squirrels if for an entire month some squirrels said, hey, <laughs> go home. Stop collecting nuts, which <laughs> you need to survive the winter. Would you be willing? Uh, would you be willing to give a time frame for how long do you think before we would see the beginning of breakdown of fiat money? Two months. Two months. Okay. Um, what would you recommend to people then, if you wanted, if you people kind of in lockdown, worried about um, providing for their families, their jobs? Um, you know, kind of ordinary people, perhaps without the means to invest in um, in uh, Bitcoin or cryptocurrency, what would you recommend to them to kind of uh, to weather that level of economic disruption? Buy food and water. Nothing else matters because I do not know, neither do you, neither does anybody know what's going to happen to cryptocurrency or fiat currency. All we know is the world is collapsing and will absolutely collapse. Food keeps you alive. If you have enough, listen, <laughs> I've got a two-year supply of peanut butter. Now, listen, um, if you know anything about food, the people in the far northern <laughs> latitudes eat a thing called bannock. Peanut butter, raisins, and bread. You can live off that shit <laughs> for years. This is the squirrel philosophy, I guess. Are you, uh, as future president of the United States, going to implement this squirrel philosophy? Is that your plan, John? I can't. I can't be president. Anybody thinks I'm, I'm John McAfee. <laughs> so, so, so there's a there's a rumor that I mean, is this is this right that? But you can clarify this for us, John. So um, on Wikipedia, it says it says you're running for um, the libertarian as libertarian candidate for 2020. Um, but that, that, yeah, so that's that's true. But the headquarters, it says, for the campaign are in Cuba, in Havana, which doesn't seem the most obvious location for um, for a libertarian candidate. Um, it's perfectly legal, according to, to U.S. law, by every standard of law my campaign was legal i was born in england yes i was born on an army base a u.s army base from a u.s father i'm born in the u.s solo nothing in the federal election commission the fec states that you must be either resident in america <laughs> or under not under duress of any kind. No, I'm under serious fucking duress. I'm not resident in But I am abiding by the laws. Why uh, why Cuba though then? Why Cuba for the for the campaign headquarters? Yeah. Okay, so now we were in Cuba when I <laughs> when I established that. Now, why were we in Cuba? Because we were in the Bahamas and the 
uh, commissioner of police for the Bahamas took $50,000 from the CIA to arrest myself and Janice on any charge whatsoever. Now, keep in mind, we were in Bahamas because it has no income tax, and therefore, I cannot be extradited for <laughs> non-payment of income tax. But I knew it was temporary. It took four months, and then the uh, Paul Rowe, the commissioner of police, took 50 grand to arrest us on any charge, which makes us now undesirables, and therefore uh, capable of being uh, deported to the U.S. Well, we escaped six hours before the arrested went to Cuba. Two months later, the Cuban government called Janice and I in and said, the United States has requested your expedition. We're not, we're not complying. However, we're giving you 72 hours to get out of our country because now you're a problem. I understood that shit. Thank, thank you for 72 hours. Uh, we were four days at sea going to the Dominican Republic. We were arrested, Janice, myself, my entire staff, for four days. And, and by the way, people, uh, those of you who are looking for a jail experience, do not start That is the problem. I've been arrested 20 times. That, that is the problem. <laughs> Uh, so I duly yeah. noted, yeah. I think, yeah, no, I, think um, I think I think a lot of people have uh, likened the the current predicament to house arrest more or less seriously. But I, I I know we're running out of time, so I've I've just got a question, I guess, about the medium or longer term um, prospects for libertarianism in general. I mean, do you think that this experience that we have we're having at the moment um, of a real it's like genuine loss of civil liberties. Do you think this will in 5, 10, 15 years inspire people to look, look back and think, okay, well, that, that was very unpleasant and maybe, you know, was the risk and the, and the response related and think, okay, actually, there is, a, there is a role in American politics for a defense of civil liberties around a kind of libertarian platform? No, I do not. I think what history will show is that the sheep had no dominance. No courage, no will to fight against governmental corruption. That's all it will show. Because I am so shocked that people were not in the fucking streets. Going. So, so John, John, uh, uh, to, in order to fight for freedom, uh, as a last question here, is it true that you're a fan of Che Guevara and do you see his model of uh, fighting for freedom as a valid one and maybe an appropriate one today? I mean, or is that just completely uh, off piece there? Well, listen, you know, I'm a, I'm a huge fan of Che Guevara and also Che Guevara really is, is one of those people whose <laughs> accidental existence thrust him into the limelight. But it was Fidel who was the mastermind. Do you realize that when Fidel marched into Havana, he had fewer than 1,000 soldiers against a Cuban government <laughs> that had 30,000. His genius was in PR. 
telling people, no, we're more than thousands. We are hundreds of thousands of rebels. <laughs> that was brilliant. Brilliant beyond description. Uh, che, yes, I admire Che because the motherfucker had balls. <laughs> he did. I'm sorry. Um, but so did, so did Castro. Excellent stuff. I'm gonna, we're going to finish this there. Uh, we won't keep you any longer. Hasta la vittoria siempre. And thank you very much, John McAfee, for taking the time with us. Thank you very much, John. Yeah. Oh, who here so speaks Spanish? What is, what is this siempre shit? Let's speak that again. <laughs> Forever. <laughs> Forever and ever. Siempre. Siempre. <laughs> Well, enjoy enjoy your Cuba Libre that you're drinking there. No entiendo por qué el hombre dice. ¿Qué él dice? Who knows? Who knows? All right, Not so me. We'll, we'll, let, we'll let you we'll let you go. We'll let you go. Thank you so much for taking the time. Very good. That was uh, that was fun. Uh, that was fun to talk to John McAfee. I think we should maybe discuss the question of civil liberties and the coronavirus a little bit further. Um, yeah. I'm not myself a skeptic about coronavirus in the way that John McAfee is. Uh, I think it's a very grave threat, obviously. But there still remains the question of, you know, is this the right response to it? Or is this a necessary response given very limited options? Um, and why haven't people rebelled against this? Do we want people to rebel against the lockdown, uh, given the gravity of the situation? I don't know. Guys. I don't know if you want people out on the street with guns, which was his, um, you know, which was his kind of response. But there is a, the, um, you know, the rapidity with which people assented to, to lockdown and to quarantine um, in the UK and in Western Europe more generally, I think, is, is startling and it is worthy of note. I don't think it's, um, it was, you know, uh, John McAfee was a bit perhaps, um, you know, he was a bit too condemnatory in terms of that, though, you know, he did express his shock at how startled he was by it. But I, I think he, there is something there worth observing. And I think um, it speaks to decades of depoliticization and um, decades of uh, politics of fear, of a technocratic politics essentially based around policing people's um, safety and risk. And that those kinds of justifications now have been taken to their apotheosis with um, with the lockdowns and the fact de facto police states uh, that have now sprung up in France. Yeah. Okay, but what else? What, what else would you do, George? Yeah. Um, well, thank you for throwing me such an easy question. Um, no, I mean that's that's the it's 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 easy. I think there are some really legitimate points in a libertarian critique, which which basically ask what is the what is the justification for this restriction of civil liberties in objective terms. I mean, I, I don't, there are, you can get facts and, and stats from a number of different places. I've gone to the FT here and it's 86,000 deaths. Um, how do you, it's a political question, how you counterpose those to um, restrictions of liberty of economic costs and all this sort of thing. And I think one thing which which you asked it in a question, Alex, and it, it kind of was passed over maybe a bit too quickly, is that the response to coronavirus is a reflection of state weakness. It is a reflection yeah. not of the objective dangers that we're facing, but the objective weakness yeah. of of the state. Yeah. And that is and that is something which I don't think really has come through 
true yet we've seen it as yeah. an econo- economic as a health crisis but really as a political crisis that's the work of the left to to make yeah. that argument i yeah. think not only so not only it's um not only it's lack of political authority that it re- can only kind of assert itself through um effective affecting police states but also just a sheer lack of capacity I mean, um, not only kind of lack of ventilators, lack of, you know, capacity to manufacture ventilators domestically, but even just, you know, in Britain, at least the lack of a warehouse with uh, protective medical gear. They don't even have a warehouse with, you know, emergency um, medical masks and, um, you know, uh, goggles and gloves and what have you. You should always have a warehouse. Well, but no, but you should have a warehouse, right? I mean, somewhere somewhere you store your nuts. Basically, you need to store up those nuts. You need to store up those nuts, whether those nuts are personal protective equipment or uh, actual you're, nuts. You're, inter- you're offering you're offering a different squirrel philosophy to the one that John was offering, but uh, your true. point is That's right. True. I think it is actually right. Yeah, I was going to say I do want to follow up sometime uh, with either with John McAfee or somebody else about why libertarians like Che Guevara so much because I think it is genuinely fascinating, mm. and I'm glad he confirmed for us as well. He confirmed the Cuba story for us was true as well because you guys are skeptical. Nobody. <laughs> we always trust Wikipedia is, is Phil's answer, which set up by a libertarian, incidentally. Um, I mean, my, my take on this whole thing for the record, I mean, it might prove to be the case that a quarantine, a mass quarantine was the only way to deal with this. But there's suggestions that there were other ways to deal with it uh, through the mobilization of people to help out with uh, the right protective equipment. And uh, you guys are right. You know, it's a lack of state capacity, um, which has led us to this situation. My take eventually is that the lockdown is a lamentable, but in the immediate term, necessary response, precisely because states haven't prepared, despite talking up the risk of a global pandemic of this sort, for two decades and haven't inspired. The response is varied. I mean, look at Sweden, right? So, I mean, some of these answers will come out in due course, I think. But also they they did have choices early on, which they didn't make. And they went instead for, um, you know, rule by technocracy, so one academic faction displaces another in terms of interpreting epidemiology and giving you different assumptions about what's going to happen in terms of how you model the, the progress of the pandemic. Um, and there were there were other options they didn't pursue early on, like um, purely kind of isolating those who are most vulnerable and pouring a huge amount of resources at protecting them. Instead, they've lurched into a police state. It's really striking how this has been the justification of the state for quite a while that it is a is a protector against yeah. uh non-state uh, um external threats and this is the this is the reason the, the only justification for um political authority is not in kind of mass participation in politics but it's in the, the state being the only way to protect you against all the risks of risk society as beck Ulrich beck the sociologist not beck the beck hansen the musician and scientologist um would <laughs> would put it <laughs> It's true. Back yeah. yeah. No, but I mean, but I think it's also even within the role of a protective state protecting against uh, non-state and even non-human threats that, you know, they didn't do lockdown quick enough. I mean, maybe Austria did. And actually, Austria is going to be the first uh, state to come out of lockdown. Um, but many others dithered also on it. So you end up kind of, I guess, with what is the worst of all worlds. You didn't even get a quick lockdown, which might have protected people. Uh, and you don't get a mobilized response with... Um, all the prior investment coming to bear fruit, you know, investment in personal protective equipment or what else. But all of it has to be traded off against um, a stack 
during economic collapse, which in a you know in a exposing an economy, global economy that was already tremendously fragile as a result of the 2008 crash, and the legacy of that I think is going to be um, much more severe than Corona. Yeah, and 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 in the developing world, probably most gravely of all, because absolutely doing a lockdown and when you can his, work from home his, is one thing, but if in a large informal economy, yeah. locking people at home is locking them at home to starve. That is yeah. tragic, and I, and I, I don't have an answer to, to that. And but. to his credit, John John McAfee was uh, emphasizing the um, diseases of the of the poor world, which are always, um, you know, which are the ones that are always overlooked yeah. and forgotten yeah. when diseases, when pandemics, disease, so on, strikes the West. All right, maybe we should leave it there. We are, once again, Alpha Bunga Bunga, if this is your first time with us. My name is Alex. The other guys are George and Phil. We are at BungaCast on all social media platforms we also have a patreon we produce two original episodes per month um, for subscribers where we have our regular more intimate circle of guests on regularly to take questions a little bit further uh, if you want to subscribe to that it's patreon.com slash bungacast uh, and if not it, you know just give us a follow on social media a new episode is out every tuesday we are back with an episode on Indonesia, Brazil, and Cold War violent anti-communism. We have episodes coming up on culturally conservative critics of capitalism, localism, and whether organizing on the local basis is the future of politics. And on Singapore, the myth of a neoliberal utopia, as well as the reality of contemporary Singapore. That's all coming up over the course of the next month. Catch you later. Bye-bye. <laughs>